Well, it, it is hard to get back. You know, it. You know, when you when you're at the front of the line and something happens to you, and you you recover, you're not just back at the front of the line. You're right. at the end of the line. <laughs> right. And you have to work your way forward again. And your previous track record means so little. Mm-hmm. Um, it means you can maybe get a meeting, but it certainly doesn't mean you're going to get a job. Hi there, and welcome into a brand new week of Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. Sharon Stone is an actress, producer, and former fashion model. Known for primarily playing femme fatales and women of mystery on film and television. She's a recipient of various accolades, including a Primetime Emmy Award, a Golden Globe Award, and a nomination for an Academy Award. She became one of the most popular sex symbols of the 1990s. She had her breakthrough role with her part in Paul Verhaven's science fiction action film, Total Recall, before rising to international recognition when she portrayed Catherine Trammell in the erotic thriller Basic Instinct, for which she earned her first Golden Globe nomination, and that movie is celebrating its 30-year anniversary this year. Sharon also starred in Casino. Her other notable films include Sliver, The Specialist, The Quick and the Dead, and Catwoman, among many others. We're pleased to have Sharon Stone join us this week right here on Celebrity Salute. Sharon, how are you? This is terrific. Thank you. How are you? Great. What? You're, it's just that voice. How, how much of your career has just been that voice? Well, I have done a number of books on tape, um, so I've that, and I've done some performances. Um, I did Peter and the Wolf with the symphony. Oh wow! Um, so I have done, I have done uh, quite a few different kinds of, of vocal performances over the years. I did some. Um, I did the movie Ants. Uh, oh yeah! Right. Hmm. And I did a series a long time ago called Harold and the Purple Crayon, which was a children's series. That's great. Yeah, I mean, you just get one of those uh, unmistakable, beautiful voices. And now, you know, we tell a lot of inspiring stories on this show, Sharon. And I think your story right now is so inspirational to so many people. Um, if we could get into that just a little bit. Oh, the story of my brain hemorrhage you're talking about? Yes. Well, no, no, no. That's the beginning of the story. The story Uh, of your brain hemorrhage and anything like that in your business, you might as well be dead, right? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I've worked with wounded warriors, and I think that, you know, I have a big understanding of that because I had such an, uh, a very difficult injury myself. I had a, a ruptured vertebral artery and a massive stroke in 2001, mm. which took me way out of my life and my career, and I had to learn to walk, talk, read, write, and everything all over again, which wow. I'm sure many soldiers have had to face uh, huge catastrophes in their lives um, from their service and from being wounded in service. And so it's always my pleasure to, to talk to soldiers that have faced injury or are dealing with the injuries of their compatriots. It's, um, 
it's a very big thing, and it's a thing, it's a big thing to go through any kind of injury that takes you years to recover from or leaves you with some disability. In my case, I have a brain seizure disorder. Burn. I've had to, you know, have my jaw and my teeth reconfigured. I'm just in the process of having a surgery on my nose. You know, there's endless things that happen when you have a major injury, and it's just a long. It's a long slog, um, and I know that many soldiers don't have enough insurance to go through all of that, and, and I've been outspoken about the need for better insurance for our soldiers, better, better arm, armaments, better, more armored cars in the field, all of the things that are really so needed. Um, I find it offensive to send soldiers in the field without the appropriate amount of armored cars and appropriate amount of armored vests. And I, I just feel that we have to take better care of the people we're asking so much from. Yeah, you, you know, and well said. We went into parts of Afghanistan embedded with the troops uh, a few years ago. And when we got there, Everything that you're talking about happened. Uh, they didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough uh, weapons. They didn't have enough of a lot of things. So when we got back, we were able to talk directly to some people who could make those things happen. And that's that's one of the greatest memories I have of the show because, uh, you know, until until you see that and you know what's going on, you, you just don't understand. <laughs> They're out there by themselves. I was greatly offended of the way that we got into war in 2001, that we got into it in a flash of upset and not in a thoughtful, planned way that protected the fine men and women that went into the service for us. And I don't think it's appropriate to send men and women into the field without protecting them. And it just underscores the dedication that these men and women have that are in the service. I mean, they, they can't can't say no. Their their dedication, but it does not underscore our protection of their dedication. True. No, a lot of the young men and women that go into the service, go into the service because we don't have enough funding for um, further education. And they go into the service because they're in uh, communities that can't afford to pay for their education, they go in because they they are not they are not uh, they're below the poverty line. They right. their only way forward, and they need to get an education, and it's their way through. And we have to admire and respect that, and we have to admire and respect that to the level that we are protecting those yes. fine and respected people who want to push their lives through and do it by giving service to our country. You know, and we talked about that inspirational aspect of your life, Sharon, as far as coming through your medical situation. And then you just finished up a series on uh, HBO called Mosaic. Yes, I did. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, that's that's coming all the way back. <laughs> that's yes, coming all the way through. Was, it was a big journey. And yeah. it, took, it took me about um, 16 years. Wow. To get to the point where I felt I could take on a role that I could uh, shoot 20 or 30 pages of dialogue a day and be ready to memorize and be on my feet and together to do that day after day. Yeah, but- and 
I was just going to say, I think the other thing, the other part of that is the fact that, that people were offering you roles again. Well, it, it is hard to get back, you know, it, you know when, you, when you're at the front of the line and something happens to you and you, you recover, you're not just back at the front of the line. You're right. at the end of the line. <laughs> right. And you have to work your way forward again. And your previous track record means so little. Mm-hmm. Um, it means you can maybe get a meeting, but it certainly doesn't mean you're going to get a job. And I have a lot of thoughts and care for all the hardworking men and women that come back and don't know where they're going to go and don't know what they're going to do. And I feel that we have such an organized system for how we're going to take them out of their jobs and take them out into the field. But we don't have an organized system about how we're going to bring them back into their lives. And I don't feel that that's really squaring us up with the people who are dedicating themselves to us. You're exactly right. You know, we had Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs on the show, and he's got a foundation for veterans. And he he put it in a very succinct way when he said, you know, there's boot camp for when you're going to war. There's no boot camp for when you're coming back. And Well, not at all. And there's not, there should be a preferred hire. Yes, for Absol- service people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is, in fact, seemingly less preferential care for we, service people. We, we just talked to the uh, president of uh, Paralyzed Veterans of America and uh, ha- had that exact same discussion because he, when you're disabled, it's even, it's even worse. And nobody, nobody wants to hire you. And there's That's lo- the thing. And when we sent people out into this, um, snap decision war in 2001, 60% of our soldiers didn't have insurance or right. armored vehicles or uh, vests or anything. That's more than half of the people that were going out to serve the nation. Right. So we've got to understand that we're going to be sending home all kinds of wounded veterans without a plan. Yeah, and that's that's what we try to do on this program is to raise those concerns and kind of solicit that support in terms of people being more aware and being more involved. You've been involved in social issues and, and uh, humanitarian efforts all your life, haven't you? Yes, and raising money for Navy SEALs yeah, and trying to, trying to help people have some understanding of what it really takes um, because— I'm not a proponent of snap decision going to war. I think that that should be the last possible choice. Absolutely. And I think no one feels that way more than a soldier in the field. You're exactly right. And that's, uh, you know, when you talked about your work with Wounded Warriors, we partnered with them uh, officially. So they are a regular member. Could not be more proud about that. Good. I think that's so good because... We look at people willing to give their all, and then we give a half-assed hello when these people return. And I just don't think that's a fair exchange. I think we have to be put these people on a preferred hire list. We have to remember to thank these people for their service. We have to stand up when they stand up for us. 
Absolutely. So, so well said. Can we talk about your career for just a little bit? Thank you. What, uh, who is the best actor you've worked with? Well, the best living actor I've worked with, of course, is Robert De Niro. Hmm. Who, was, who was on his program four weeks ago? I really admire Bob, and I, I, he's taken such an outspoken position lately, and I have to say that I admire him for speaking out his views and for, because he's a very shy person, and he's, he's, he's saying what he really, truly believes, and I think that takes a lot of courage and a lot of grit. Right. And not concerning himself about what will happen to him or his career. I think he's pretty well set, don't you? Well, I think he's, um, you know, I have said things and then not worked Hmm. for, you know, a term of a president. You have to be (laughs) cautious. (laughs) So you you can actually point back and say, uh, I didn't work during that presidency. I didn't work during that presidency. It, it can happen. Wow. And you have to be cautious because when you say something against the person who holds great authority, sure. a person can crush you. And I think that um, I think that when people stand up to power and say what they believe for the betterment of, of the greater good, I think it's a very courageous thing. And um, I think that we're at a time in the world when things are just reaching such extraordinary chaos. Right that we have to be careful about being sheep and we have to say uh, yes to things that are correct. And we have to say no to things that we know are, are intrinsically and basically wrong for the greater good. I don't think, I I don't think anybody's ever going to call Sharon Stone a sheep. Well, I hope not. You know, um, I really hope not because I, I believe in the greater good and I believe in humanity and I believe in the goodness that we share. And I believe that it doesn't matter what religion you are, as long as love is your strongest pursuit in your heart and that you pursue that without unkindness to others. So uh, when you did basic instinct, Mm -hmm. did you have any idea how big that was going to be? Well, when I read it, I knew it was a spectacular script. Yes. And I knew it was a very, it was a very edgy part yeah, because a, lo- a lot of actresses turned that down, right? Yes. Uh, like 12 or 13 actresses turned it down, luckily for me. But Michael Douglas was already set in the part. Mm. And Paul Verhoeven was already set to direct. And the script was already magnificent. Right. And they already had a fantastic cinematographer and a big budget from an A studio. <laughs> so, and they had a terrific set designer. So it wasn't, in my opinion, an enormous risk because I knew how to play the part. Absolutely. You absolutely knew how to play the part. In fact, you know, you look, you look back now and you think other actresses were actually looking at that part. I can't imagine anybody else in that part but you. I think it, it, it was a part that I, I understood. I understood when I read it that she was a sociopath, and I started to research what type of sociopath she was. And that was very intriguing I'll for bet. me. I'll bet. And I liked the, 
the sort of elegance of her particular illness. And there was something I thought very intriguing, and I thought that everybody had a handle on it. That's so I didn't think it was going to be tawdry, and I didn't think it was going to be um, exploit exploitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that Verhoeven did a great job directing it, and I thought that Michael was fantastic in keeping it to its genre. And I thought that everybody knew exactly what they were doing. That's, and, that's interesting to hear how you approach that. Um, well, I watched, a, I watched a lot of different kinds of films and read a lot of different things. I read William Styron's book, Darkness Visible, which he wrote as he was having a nervous breakdown. Oh, wow. Which, I was, which was totally fascinating, which I thought demonstrated the, the way a mind can sort of implode. And I read the various um, different uh, takes of Joan of Arc, and I thought uh, Shaw's version was really extraordinary. And I, re- I watched uh, some amazing film uh, that was shot inside a prison of serial killers, uh, interviews of serial killers discussing why they did what they did and how much they wanted to stay in prison and why, and some reenactments of their crimes. And it was absolutely very um, compelling and intriguing and helped me to understand what that impulse was. It was a very intriguing sort of combination of things that made her particular illness. And then, of course, we had to... Uh, make it into a cinematic character. Sure. So, you know, we had the very great Ella Mirajnik as the costumer and, and that kind of thing that, that bring, it to, bring it to life. But I thought that it was a really interesting kind of character to play. Yeah, you know, and it always shows up on the list of best movies of all time. Oh, thank you. You know, and uh, Sharon, listen, I just thank you so much for taking the time today uh, well, to, I'm, a, I'm a very uh, grateful person to be able to live in a free country, and I'm very grateful to the men and women that risk so much for us, and I have such compassion for them and for what they go through and tremendous empathy for them for the suffering that they have to endure, and I just want them to know that having gone through a major crisis, I understand what that means and that I feel um, compelled to continue to try to be helpful in that area. Well, thank you so much. And this is just consider this an open invitation uh, for you or uh, any one of your friends that, that want to come on the program. We would love to hear from them. Love to hear back from you. Thank you. And I just want to send my kindest and most uh, loving regards to the men and women in the field and let them know that they're constantly in our thoughts and in our prayers. You have been fantastic. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.